This has been a very full morning, hasn't it? Wonderful. We are journeying through what we're calling a 90-day challenge, if you're visiting with us. We're, we're looking at this epic adventure of the early Christian church as found in the book called Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, we are uh, calling it. And uh, we're journeying one chapter per week. Um, one of you, though, sent me an email or a bulletin, a uh, blue card comment this week, and said, it feels like we're going too slow. I want to, I want to read ahead and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> Permission granted. I mean, there are worse things than hearing your congregation wants to read ahead in the Bible and, and see what happens. By the way, we win in the end. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but they were right. It, this is slower. And it is on purpose slower. We wanted to stew in the Word for that week so that it's constantly coming. Actually, you can read the Bible in a couple of ways. You can read the Bible the way a dog eats his dinner, <laughs> where you just can't wolf it down, gobble it down as much as you can, as fast as you can, and that, that's one good way to read Scripture. But there's another way to read this Bible. That's to read like a cow eats her dinner. So she eats, she digests, She brings it back up again, (laughs) chews on it some more, sends it back down, does that several times. That's called ruminating, and it's actually the word, the basis of which is meditate in the Old Testament. That's what we're doing. We're eating the word like a cow. We're going to live in it, eat it, chew on it, and draw the nourishment from it. So just trust your pastor on this. This is a good way to go. How many of you read the text for this week at some part? Awesome. How many of you did all five days of the, of the uh, 90-day journey? Okay. <laughs> Keep at it. That's what this is for. Keep at it. We are learning new disciplines. I promise it will take you deeper, okay? Last week, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, even when you have uh, the Holy Spirit as Christians... So, even when you have the Holy Spirit, and you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. You understand that, right? I mean, who is it that comes into you, saves you, redeems you, transforms you? That is the work of the Spirit. So, you cannot be a a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. Still, we can have more of the Spirit. Paul talked about being filled over and over and over and over again. And we get more and more of the Spirit. That's what we are talking about. Why do we need more of the Spirit? Yeah, exactly. We leak. Remember that? We leak. Okay, so busyness and, and lust and, and sin and, uh, and uh, confusion. I mean, all of these things cause... And we need... We need to refill again and again and again. So that's why I offered another challenge last week. You remember it? I said, what would happen if for one month, every member of this church, every attender in this church, every morning before they got out of bed, they said what? Fill me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask this. How many of you sometime in this week have prayed, fill me up, Holy Spirit. I want more of you. Okay, not bad. I'm not bad. I, I have been doing it every day, and it makes a difference. I'm convinced it makes a difference. One man was here. He's in his 20s. 
He's uh, new in the Lord. He's kind of just walking with us in this. And he was taken by that. So he took, he didn't know you don't take your pastor seriously. So he, he did. And uh, the next morning, he said, he, 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 the next day he shared with his friend that he got up that morning. And while he was in the shower, he said, all right, Holy Spirit, fill me up. And the cool thing was when he went to work, he told a friend at work, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And that is exactly what happens. When we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, we can't help but let him out. And what happens? We just, well, it's more spectacular than that. I was supposed to... That's not what happens when we have the Holy Spirit. We are unleashed on the world. I'm going to have to rethink that uh, illustration in second service. The world can't help but notice when we have the Spirit in us. We become conspicuous. And it's just like the story from this morning. So I want to pick up our Bible story from this morning, where we left off last week, a part of where we left off last week. You remember, the Spirit has come at Pentecost. Peter is preaching the sermon of his life, his great Pentecostal sermon. And I want to pick it up uh, near the end where he was concluding uh, last week. Peter says this, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. With these and many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All of them were filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all. All the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter in, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and John as well. 
Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking his right hand, he helped him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and jumping and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to beg at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them at the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is a story from God's holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for the gift of this story, which is not a story only. It is truth. It is a story that happened. And we pray that your spirit would meet us in same power today. In Jesus' name, amen. That story came from the second chapter of Acts. Why don't you turn with me? We're going to be looking at it today. While you have your finger there, you'll want to put it also in turn to Matthew chapter 5. One of the things that we're trying to do with our 90-day journey, and that's why I'm challenging you, every day we do something a little different. One of the things we want to do is this. We want to remind ourselves that the things that we see in Acts that the disciples are doing are the things that Jesus taught them to do when he was with them. So Tuesday is our parallel passage day. That's when we go back and we look at what Jesus taught, right? And this week's parallel passage comes from that inaugural sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And I want to remind you of that. So turn back there. It's page 816 in your pew Bibles. And as I said, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at our text as we make our way through. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, here's what we read from Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine that people will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How many remember that story? That's one of the most familiar. Salt, light, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Jesus was saying in his opening salvo, That the spirit-filled life is conspicuous. It cannot help but be. It is conspicuous. It doesn't try to be conspicuous. It just is. It just stands out. Every morning, I eat a hard-boiled egg. When I eat that egg without salt, I can tell. 
A little sprinkle makes all the difference in the world. It is conspicuous, isn't it? Our basement is as dark as a tomb. In fact, my mom fell down the stairs of our dark basement one time and and hurt herself. She threatened to sue me, and so we had to do something about it. So I'll I'll get it all back in the end. So Cindy strung some lights down the stairs, and, uh, and now it's very bright. It is very conspicuous. Jesus said that his spirit-filled followers would be conspicuous, and it's not in order to bring attention to themselves. Rather, they will be conspicuous, and in doing so, they'll bring attention to God. They will be, bring praise to their heavenly Father. And isn't that exactly what we see in this morning's magnificent story? Turn to Acts chapter 3 with me, as I said, and let's kind of follow our way through that. Acts chapter 3, very, very first part of it. Peter and John are on their way uh, to the temple to pray. And as they make their way up to the temple, they walk past one of the invisible people. One of the countless beggars who was so commonplace in the culture of that time that they were nothing more than the cultural white noise of their society. This man had been crippled, we are told, from birth. And he was carried by friends every day to his favorite begging spot, right by a a temple gate that was called beautiful because of the ornate way in which it was carved. So when Peter and John walk by him, he calls out to them for some money. And I want you, did you see the eyes, the looking in the story? Let me remind you of it. Verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. So John's looking too. Then Peter said, look at us. You know how people can keep their heads down even when they're asking for something? They live in shame. Peter says, lift up your eyes. Look at us. Look at us. And so we read, he did. He gave them their attention. He looked at them. He looked at them, expecting to get something from them. And boy, did he. The first step of being God's conspicuous witnesses is that we really see what we might have grown blind to. We really see what we might have grown blind to. The man was looking for money. Peter and John were about to give him something so much more. Peter pronounces healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just in case they weren't sure who he was talking about. And a man who had never walked rises to his feet. Wow! And it only gets crazier from there. This guy is like a new colt trying out his spindly new legs. And so he's just hopping all over the place. Did you see all of the action words that are described in the text? Verse 8. Take a look. Verse 8. Look at all the verbs. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple where he was walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they were filled with wonder. Because they, of what had happened to this guy. They recognized him as the one who used to sit. The one who used to sit was now walking and jumping and praising God. How is it that Peter saw someone who was normally invisible to him? How is it that Peter was inspired to do something that if it didn't work would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? 
How is it that this man was healed and went gallivanting around the temple to the amazement of the onlookers? This is the power of the Holy Spirit-filled believer. We expect the Spirit to direct us. We pay attention when the Spirit directs us. We obey Him even when it is frightening, even when it seems impossible. And in those moments of obedience, God does amazing, conspicuous things. Salt and light, conspicuous. When was the last time someone pointed with amazement at something the Holy Spirit had done through you and were drawn closer to God because of it? Spirit-filled believers are conspicuous. But notice this, and this is very important. They were already conspicuous before that exciting account that we read about in the temple square. They were already conspicuous because of the way that they were living. Did you see that? Turn back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Going on to 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Already they're living in a way that their culture did not live. They were already conspicuous. First of all, we read that they were together. Did you notice how many times the word together appears? It's three times. Luke uses it three times. They continued to meet together. All the believers were together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Together for food, for fellowship, for fun, for uh, for worship, for in, in each other's homes. They were just together. If we were to put one of the early church principles into practice... And if this was the one, it would be incredibly conspicuous. Because our culture does not know how to be together. Especially in the Pacific Northwest. Isn't that true? We don't really want to be together. We like our isolation. We like our fences. We like our houses set back in the woods and behind our gates. And even our own church. I want you to think about it. How much togetherness do we share as a congregation? We come for worship, but most of us kind of blast out the doors by the time it's done. We have a life group during the week. But as far as actually hanging out together, as far as actually doing life together, how much do we really do? Are we conspicuous for that? And I would say this has been the single biggest point of growth in my own life in this last year. Cindy and I both realized that we were, in a sense, living in isolation. We kind of hide in our house with our little bridge over the top of our little creek, and we pull up our little drawbridge at night, and we hunker down. And we sensed as we were studying what it means to be disciple makers that God was calling us to be more relational, to open our doors and to add leaves to our dining room table and to put bottoms in those chairs that otherwise go unused so often. And so we have never been more intentionally relational, not in our 25 plus years of marriage. We are reaching out and we are sharing meals. And I would say that that is the work of the Holy Spirit in me. 
and in us. That is the work of the Spirit in our lives. And it is very conspicuous because our culture does not really know how to do life together. And yet, people long for this genuine intimacy. Don't you know that? People long for this. Imagine if no visitor who came on a Sunday morning could get out of here without being noticed and invited to dinner three times, to supper three times. It would never happen, right? Not in the Pacific North. It happens in the South, I'm telling you. But it does not happen here. What if we, what if we did do that? Would you like to come with us for lunch? That was the early church. Another conspicuous thing about their life together was their generosity. Did you see that? They sold their possessions and goods and gave to everyone as he had need. Now, the Bible does not tell us that we must sell everything in order to be followers of Christ. But it does teach that real Christians are conspicuously generous. So can this be said of you? Are you known as a giver or a grasper? I'm occasionally aware of who gives and of those who don't, and it is often disheartening. I cannot fathom how those who've been blessed by our fellowship and our care, the teaching and the nurture of this congregation, those whose children are taught in our Sunday school classes and whose teens come to Christ in our youth ministries, whose marriages have been strengthened or saved, whose spiritual lives have been deepened, I cannot fathom how such people can be stingy. And I'm sure of this. The last place that the Holy Spirit is invited to is into someone's checkbook. And it is often the one place from which He is barred in our lives. And I will just say it. It is not Christian. True Christians are conspicuously generous people. And finally, they were conspicuous worshipers. Again, they weren't doing it to be seen. But when you are at the temple every day, when you are in constant prayer, when you're living life with glad hearts and praising God with all you do and in all you face, when you make worship a priority in a culture that says Sunday is for play, you're going to stand out. So in the spectacular, in the signs and the wonders, the amazement, all the languages of astonishment, and in the mundane things like meals and houses and, and, uh, and generosity, the Holy Spirit-filled church was conspicuous. Salt and light, and they stood out, and they brought glory to God. And so the question that begs us to be asked is, are we a conspicuous church? Are we conspicuous as individuals? You know, from time to time, I'll hear, hear people say something like, I don't talk about my faith, I live it. Well, you, you don't have permission not to speak when the Holy Spirit lights your tongue on fire. I'm just going to say that. You don't have permission not to speak. But I am quite certain that unless we live conspicuously Christian lives that are consistent with what we say we believe... Whatever words we do speak will fall dead to the ground the moment they leave our lips. So, what is the response of people to the conspicuous Holy Spirit-filled person? Well, we saw it here, didn't we? Remember one passage, he says, they found favor with all the people. Isn't that awesome? 
And in the temple later on, we read that all the people were astonished and came running to them at the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And I will tell you, it's certainly more pleasant when we are living conspicuously and that is received with favor. But it is not always so. Five chapters from now, and we're going to read these words. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And we're going to walk through that persecution together. Why did that happen? Because they were such model citizens? Because they demonstrated such community? Because they were so generous and and doing great miracles of healing? Is that why a persecution broke out against them? No, it's because those things happened in the name of Jesus. Because they loved and lived and gave and worshipped and performed miracles in the name of Jesus. And for that reason, their idolatrous culture came to despise them. We have in our possession, you know me, I'm a historian and I love this stuff. We have in our possession a a letter called A Letter to Diognetus. There's a picture of it on it. It it was written to this guy, Diognetus. We don't know whether he was a Christian or not, but it was written to describe what Christians are and who they are. It was written as early, possibly, as 130 A.D. So when we are reading the letter to Diognetus, we're reading an account of something that took place within one generation, really, of what was occurring here in Acts chapter 3. So in Rome, in a time when promiscuity and idolatry... And abortion, did you know there was an abortion mill in the Roman world? Abortion and religious persecution were rampant. This letter is a description of how conspicuous Christians were in that kind of a culture. Listen to part of it. Here's what the guy writes. Mathetes is his name. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very honor are glorified in their very dishonor are glorified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. One hundred years after Pentecost, Christians were still being described as those who lived conspicuous lives and were sometimes persecuted for it. Is it any less so today? Around the world, there have never been more martyrdoms for those who proclaim Christ. Never been more martyrdoms that are happening right now. And even in our own United States. One of the reasons many of us would rather just live good lives without actually mentioning why this is, is that the name of Jesus still disturbs and still divides in a culture that trips over itself, trying to make sure it doesn't give offense to any particular group, it is still open season on Christians. So fair warning to you, if you live conspicuous, Holy Spirit-filled lives, society is going to be drawn to you like moths to a flame. 
Like the beggar. Don't you love that image? Who held on. He was not going to let go of his blessing. Held on to Peter and John. There's a deep longing for our culture to embrace what is genuine, loving, generous, selfless community. Gig Harbor is starved for it. But if you mention that you live conspicuously because the spirit of Jesus lives in you, you might pay a price for it. So be it. We do not live conspicuously in order to curry favor with people or to impress them. We live this way because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And and when we are, we can do no other. It is what we do. It is what we are. So my question as we close this day is simply this. Are you a conspicuous follower of Jesus Christ? Do those around you have any clue that you are a follower of Jesus? Any inkling that you are filled with his living, empowering Holy Spirit? If not, then you are probably not filled. And perhaps this would be the day when you surrender your reputation, surrender your appearance, surrender your double-mindedness to the Lord and say, fill me now. Fill me to overflowing so that all who see me will see the love of Christ radiating through me and they will give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, fill us now. May we be a bunch of Presbyterians who are bubbling over with the Holy Spirit of God. And may we confound the world as they are drawn to us because they long for what they find, but repulsed because of the reason for it. May we stand boldly being who we are, who we were created to be, who we were filled to be. God, would you shake up this community as you shook up Jerusalem that day. And when you do, We will give you the praise and the honor and the glory forevermore. And all of God's people said.